0: Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Every Nation Church Las Vegas. It's so great to be back here with you guys. I think I was last year, last July. Um, we're, I'm in town uh, because my son's in a basketball tournament. That's what this bracelet is for. I promise I didn't go clubbing last night. Um, but um, thank you, Matt, uh, for that awesome introduction. I realize if, if, if uh, Matt's saying he owes a lot of his gr- growth to me, that could actually be bad for me depending on what you think about Matt. <laughs> no, but Matt is an awesome guy. We love him. Don't we love Pastor Matt and Jerrica? Can we say thank you to them? Also, don't we love Pastor Roland and Vilma? I mean, they are amazing. You know, one of the highlights uh, coming to Vegas uh, is, is getting to see, see them and getting to hang out with all of you and see some friends uh, from a long time ago, people from Hawaii. I know some of you just moved here recently. We miss you, by the way. Hawaii, you can always come back. Um, and, uh, In fact, all of you, no, don't, stay, stay, because God's called you to be here. Uh, But it's so great to be able to share the word with all of you guys. I'm looking forward to ministering with you um, uh, this morning. And, uh, you know, you guys have been in a series called Acts, You Will Be My Witnesses. And as you've seen throughout this series, as you've been studying through the book of Acts, that the power of God is available to Christians. Have you noticed that? That God fully intends for the Holy Spirit's power. But Think about this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and I if you're a Christian. When we receive Christ, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and when we are secondarily laid hands upon and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. And God fully intends for Christians to live in that power and to bring that power into the places that we live, our workplaces, our our campuses if you're a student, the community, and believe God for great things. How many of you have been inspired through that throughout this series? Just by reading the book of Acts and the sermons that you've heard, man, we should be fired up. Okay, God, you want to do something great In me and through me. And I think that's a a word for some of you. Because some of us, I I know how it is to be a Christian. We walk through life and we go through stuff and we're like, can God really use me? Is there any real uh, mission and purpose for my life? And and as your pastors have been teaching the word, it should stir up something inside of us that says, yes, okay, God, if this is what your word says, then I have to believe it. I have to believe that God wants to do great things for me. And you are here in, in Las Vegas for a purpose, you're not here by accident. You're here, oh thank you Matt, to um, make a difference, but not by yourself, not in the flesh, in the power of the Spirit. And while we ought to believe God at all times for amazing things, there are times in our lives where where God's not going to do what we want Him to do when we want Him to do it. Have you noticed? Have any of you ever noticed that? That God doesn't do things the way that you want, when you want. I hate when He does that. God, would you, if you just did everything when I want and the way that I want, the world would be a much better place, at least in my head. All of us are going to go through seasons in life where God doesn't do what we want when we want in the way that we want him to do it. And that's what I want to talk to us about this morning. Because while there's power for God to move, and that is absolutely true, and we should be believing God for great things. Some of you I was talking to in the lobby are believing God for jobs, believing God for breakthroughs in different places. We ought to do that. But there are going to come inevitable seasons in life where God doesn't do what we want. It's very frustrating. And I want to talk to us about that this morning. The title of my message is Confronting Contradictions. Confronting Contradictions. Because while we ought to believe God for great things, we're going to face contradictions. And how we respond in the face of those contradictions when God doesn't do what we want when we want him to will determine whether we grow in our faith, whether we progress in our faith, or whether we regress. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? How many of you ever experienced a contradiction? When God doesn't do what you want, when you want. Some of you are likely walking in a contradiction right now. How we respond makes all the difference. I want to talk about a guy in the Bible by the name of Elijah. Elijah was a powerful prophet. And a prophet in the Old Testament or in Scripture was a, was a man that was raised up by God to basically speak for God to the people. all, all Very often to rebuke the people from going astray. As they've drifted away from God, God raised up prophets like Elijah to, to turn them back, to call them back. And in this episode, we're going to look at in, in in 1 Kings chapter 17, the nation of Israel went way astray. Not only did they veer away from worshiping God, they started worshiping idols. One idol in particular was the, was the god named Baal. He, Baal was a Canaanite god who was particularly uh, insidious because to worship Baal meant child sacrifice. It meant ritualistic sex. It meant doing things that were, were not, you know, prohibit, they were prohibited by the Israelites. And most of us would go, man, I don't know if that's a good idea in general, especially the child sacrifice thing. But Israel went way astray. And so God raised up Elijah to stand in the gap, to call the people back to holiness and righteousness. And God did amazing things through this prophet. He, he pronounced a drought on the, on, on the nation. Now, if you know anything about Baal, I'm setting up the story, by the way. Baal was the weather god. He was known to control the weather. And so, in an agricultural society, the weather is everything. If it doesn't rain, you don't have crops. If you don't have crops, your animals will die, and eventually you will die. And so, Baal was the god for success, prosperity, comfort. It's one of the reasons why the nation of Israel left their god to worship this god. And so... Elijah comes on the scene. God raises up Elijah. What he tells, tells Elijah to do is, I want you to declare a drought over the land, a direct attack on this false God, Baal. Baal's not in control of the weather, God's in control of the weather. Amen? And so Elijah prophesies this drought, and guess what? It doesn't rain for years and years and years, and the drought is so bad, people are starting to freak out, but God miraculously provides for Elijah. Gives him water through a brook, brings him food through ravens. Go back and read it. It's a pretty cool story. He got Uber Eats dropped off by birds. It's it's amazing. And then he goes and and, and provides miraculously for a widow. And all these great miracles are starting to happen. Now, if you're Elijah at this point, you're probably feeling like the man. (laughs) I declared a drought, and there was a drought. Oh, yeah, here I come. You know what I mean? Like how, How boss would you feel if you're walking around and, like, God did that for me? And, and then he's providing for me, but not y'all because y'all are in sin, but God's providing for me. Oh, yeah, right? He provides for the widow who's, who's taking care of him. I mean, I'm in the will of God. God is doing amazing things. I speak it, and it happens. But would you know, he experienced a contradiction. Let's take a look at what it says here in the text. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 17. Uh, in verse 17. Remember, Elijah's in a high. God's doing amazing things, and then something happens. Verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He was staying with this widow. God was providing miraculously for her. But now the son falls ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Son died. This boy died. Verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah said. Verse 19. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us in the midst of these contradictions, that calls us to know you better, that we might understand your heart and how we are to respond to you in faith. God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we all walk through different seasons of life and likely contradictions, even right now, that test our faith, I pray that you would help us to see through your word what you're doing and how we are to respond to you. Thank you for this great church, these great people. Open all of our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. First point up on screen, we will all face contradictions in our journey of faith, situations that seem to contradict God's will for our lives. We will all Face contradictions. I wish there was a way I could promise you if you do X, Y, or Z, if you do it all right, you will never face these crises of faith. You will never face these contradictions. We can live a life contradiction free where it's blessing after blessing after blessing. I wish I could tell you that, but I would be lying to you because even the Bible doesn't promise that. Elijah didn't experience, nobody experienced that kind of a life in the Bible because it's not real. We live in a fallen, broken world. This world is broken where there's disease and death and calamity and and all kinds of stuff where you lose basketball games that you should have won, okay? Um, Sorry, I'm still still hurting right now. Where you don't get the calls that you should get because the ref is blind. I'm sorry. It felt good to say that. It felt good to say that. We live in a broken world with flawed humans that make mistakes, and unfortunately, their mistakes affect us. We live in a flawed world where we make mistakes that affect our lives, our kids' lives, and other people's. We're all going to face contradictions because we live in a broken world filled with sin. And Elijah, even though he was doing everything right, he was in the will of God, faced this contradiction. Why did this woman's son die? Think about the woman. She did everything right. Go back and read the story. Elijah said, provide for me. And she did, even when she was poor and almost uh, destitute herself. And God blessed her. She was in the will of God. And yet her son is now dead. What happened, God? And you can hear it in her voice. What's going on? Why is this happening? And you and I have all been in those situations, haven't you? Where, God, I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was in your will. Why is this happening? What I want to say to us, first of all, is it's not necessarily that you did anything wrong. Because I know when I go through, when I, when I face contradictions in my life, sometimes I feel like, man, I must be in sin then. Or maybe this is punishment. Or maybe, maybe I'm just a bad person and God loves everybody else but me. I remember that's how I felt when I first came to church. My parents were divorced. My dad was a drug dealer, and he was in jail at the time. And I came to church, and everyone's worshiping God. They were so excited. And I'm over there like, man, God must love all of you, but he certainly doesn't love me. And, you know, we would say something back in in our church back in the day. Some of you might remember it. God is good. And then everyone would reply, all the time. And someone would say, all the time. And everyone would reply, God is good. And I remember standing there going, are you serious? (laughs) Like, God is good all the time? Really? And all the time, God is good. I started looking at people, are you for real right now? Because he certainly wasn't good to me at the time. I couldn't reconcile the fact that God is good, and he is all-powerful, and yet I was facing massive contradictions in my life. And some of you may be in that place right now, where what you believe about God is not matching up with your reality. Can I tell you, that is a normal Christian experience. You were not somehow weird or strange. I mean, pos- I mean. It's not that sin never results in consequences. If you're robbed the a bank and you're in jail, don't blame God for that. Okay, that was on you, all right? You know, if you don't put oil in your car and your car breaks down, it might not be the devil. It might be you and your negligence, okay? So sometimes, so our sin does have consequences. I don't want to absolve us of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Sometimes we can be doing everything right and still find ourselves in a difficult situation, and we're going to face different kinds of contradictions in life when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to. When we want him to. Anybody ever have that situation? I'm in that situation right now. God, what's taking so long? Where is this breakthrough that I've been waiting for for almost three years? Come on, God. we got stuff to do here. What's happening? Right? When we face different health problems that all of us at some point will in life, unfortunately. When we experience relationship challenges. When, our, when the relationships that maybe once were so close and, and encouraging and supportive now have gone awry. We will all face those at some point in time as well. When you don't get the promotion that you thought that you should get or the, or the job that you thought that you should get, that may feel like a contradiction when you experience financial problems. And eventually, all of us will experience death, whether we like it or not. And that's a contradiction. God, I thought you loved me. Why? Because we live in a broken world for one thing. But look at what Jesus says here. While this seems contradictory to us, the Bible actually tells us we, need, we should expect these things to happen. Look at what Jesus said about this. I have told you these things in John chapter 16, verse 33, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise in the Bible that you don't like, amen? I mean, we all love Bible promises, not that one. But that's a promise. Dang, in this world, you will have trouble. Put that on your, you know, right above your toilet, you know, when your guests come in, you know, right above the dinner table. In this world, you will have trouble. I mean, we do need to be reminded of that, I think. But here's the other promise. This is part two to this promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. And if Jesus overcame the world and all of its trouble, so can you and I. But we need to persevere in faith and learn certain things that Jesus did so that we can persevere just as he did, amen? Amen. I mean, think, thinking about the trouble, I mean, none of us have been betrayed by our own friends to death, executed in one of the most horrible ways, abandoned by most of your friends, denied by one of your closest friends. I mean, we've gone through a lot of stuff, but Jesus went through death, execution, murder, and what did he do? He forgave the very people that were murdering him while they were murdering him. If he can overcome the world, so can you and I, amen, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but. I've told you these things. In this world, you will have trouble. And many times we we can go, wait, why am I experiencing trouble? Oh, that's right. Jesus promised that we would because this is a broken world. So the question is not should we expect trouble? The question is how do we persevere? How do we endure? How do we thrive in the midst of it? His disciples, not only did Jesus promise it, his disciples, the people that were with him experienced it. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 37. Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat. You guys remember the story if you've been around. He tells his disciples to get into a boat and he left the crowd behind, verse 36. They took him along just as he was in the boat and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The disciples experienced a storm. Now, did they experience a storm because they were not in the will of God? No, they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. He told them to get into the boat and to go to the other side. They were not in sin, they were not in disobedience, and yet they experienced a storm. And I think that's a word for some of us here this morning. Your storm may not be sin-related. It may just be part of the promise Jesus gave us in this world you're going to face trials. But it's not pointless. It's not meaningless. God will redeem it, as we'll see in just a moment. But we have to, we can't allow ourselves to feel like, man, am I out of the will of God right now? That's why I'm going through this? Now, it very may be that. And you need to, only you and Jesus will know that answer. And if you're out of the will of God, you definitely will experience storms. Okay, if you're out of the will of God and you're running from God and you're living in sin, you should expect storms like all the time. Because sin always has consequences. But if you're in the will of God, you still can not expect storms from time to time, season to season. But here's the good news. God will redeem those things. But what I want to say to some of you, some of us this morning have been thinking, man, why am I going through this? Am I not in the will of God? No, you might be in the will of God and still experience a storm. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Because here's the, Here's the thing. The next point in your notes, in the face of contradictions, if we're not careful, we can often doubt God's goodness and love. And this is where it gets dangerous. Because if in the middle of a storm we doubt God's goodness, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to run away from God and get angry at God and blame God and run from him rather than run to him. And that's what far too many people do when they face a contradiction. They get angry at God and they run away from God rather than running to God, who is the solution. The woman... That Elijah was staying with the widow whose son died was wrestling with that verse 18 she said to Elijah what do you have against me man of God do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son see what's going on in her head this has to this is this is God's punishment on me because remember the the prophets were representatives of God on the earth and so for her to say this to the prophet she was saying God killed my son God killed him. I was doing everything right. I was trying to help you, and God killed my son. He's not a good God. And in the middle of our contradictions, the enemy comes to sneak that lion. He doesn't love you, and he is not good. Causes us to doubt God's goodness and love. Even Elijah, the prophet, wrestled with this. Look at what he said. Elijah said, verse 20, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? causing you are the cause are you the cause of this God and he was wrestling part of this is encouraging to me because I wrestle with that sometimes and things don't go the way that I want God what are you doing why are you doing this right and we wrestle with this but here's what I I want to tell us Satan loves to come in these moments of contradiction and whisper in our ears God's not good and God does not love you you follow the wrong God You backed the wrong horse. You're on the wrong side of this thing. You better turn around and go the other way before this gets worse. And Satan comes and whispers that in our ears. Remember in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? What was Satan's first accusation against God? He doesn't love you. He's holding out on you. He doesn't, did God really say that you're not supposed, no, he just wants to hold you back from having the knowledge of good and evil, from becoming like God. He doesn't really love you. He's trying to control you. Take the fruit. Take the fruit. He doesn't love you. He's using you. He's manipulating you. Satan's lie from the very beginning, in the face of that contract, why would God not let us eat from this fruit? It's beautiful. The tree is awesome. The fruit looks good. I should be able to take it. He, it's because he doesn't love you. That's why he doesn't want you to go out and party. That's why he doesn't want you to go, go to the clubs and do all these things. That's why he doesn't want you to marry that person or get in that situation because he actually doesn't love you. He's trying to control you manipulate you and shrink your life down to nothing. That's what God wants to do. <laughs> and we listen to that lie. And then we start running away. I don't want to go to church because they're trying to control me, just like God. I don't want to, I don't want to obey God because they just da-da-da. And, and all these lies start coming into our heads in the face of contradictions. Even Elijah the prophet wrestled with that. Even the disciples wrestled with that in the boat. After being in the boat, they faced this storm and I love this, back to Mark uh, 4. Jesus was in the stern sleeping. Ever feel like Jesus is sleeping in your storm? But look at what by the way, you know, this is, this is why I tell my wife when I need to take naps in the afternoon. Jesus took naps, honey. I'm just trying to be like him, okay? So leave me alone. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. But look at what the disciples said about that. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? There's the accusation again. Don't you care? Not Jesus, get up. We're going to die. Save us. That would have probably been the best response, right? Jesus, I know you're God, so save us because we're, we're dying here. I know you love me, right? That's the right way to respond. But in, have you noticed in your own experience when things go, go right, you go, don't you care? Don't you care about my family? Don't you care about my kids? Don't you care? Where are you? And, and that lie comes in. You don't care. That's why I'm going through this. And subtly in our hearts, we don't want to open the Bible anymore. You ever been there? We're like this Bible that weighs less than two pounds feels like it weighs a thousand. I can't even pick this thing up. I don't know why I can't get my hands to open the page and fl- just because you don't even care about me. What's the point? Never been there. I've been there. Elijah's been there. The disciples have been there. So we're in good company. Amen. But we can't stay there. We can't stay there. The devil wants you to live there. God doesn't care about you. Just do your own thing. Just feed your flesh. Just satisfy your lust. Just go live for pleasure, live for fun. You're in Vegas. Just live however you want to live, just like everybody else. Just go do it. But We took some of the kids down to the strip. Big mistake, by the way. Uh, Because somebody wanted to go see the M&M factory and the Hershey thing. And and you could just see, you know, these teenage boys walking, oh, my God, what's going on? The go-go dancers walking by, oh, my God, what's going on? I was like, oh, my God. Whose idea was this? I wanted to stay home and play Monopoly, but somebody wanted to go to the strip. All right. Right? But here's the lie that I know is going through, through, through some of their heads. How come I can't have that? How come I can't do that? My mom doesn't love me. That's why she doesn't want me to do that, right? And that lie, and and the Christian ones are probably thinking, how come God doesn't want us to experience all this? What's happening, right? He's trying to control me. No, no, no. He's trying to protect you from something. But in the midst of a contradiction, that's where your mind will naturally go. At least mine does, and and those of you that are saying amen, right? So how do we deal with these contradictions? Because they're going to come. They're going to come. And when they come, don't be surprised. That's the first big takeaway. Don't be surprised. How do we respond in a way that causes our faith to grow in the face of these contradictions? First thing here, confront contradictions by remembering the word of God, by remembering the word of God. Elijah had to deal with that. This poor kid is dead. The widow is just questioning, God, why did you do this to me? And Elijah's questioning, why would you kill this widow's son after she helped me and took care of me? What's happening? What's happening? But he had to remember the word of God. Back in verse 14, which we didn't read, but I'll, I'll read it for you. The Lord told him, basically, that this widow and her son is going to make it through this famine. So they're going to make it through this drought. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. Referring to the widow's provisions. God is going to provide for you. If you take care of me, Elijah saying, God's going to take care of you and you're going to make it through this thing. The Lord's going to send rain and you guys are going to be fine. Elijah, when this boy is now dead, probably had to go back to that word that the Lord spoke to him and remind himself, of, no, 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 God told me they're going to make it. God told me they're going to make it through. And he started providing and so there's no way this boy is supposed to be dead. And so he takes the boy in his arms and carries him up to the room and he begins to pray for him because he remembered the word of the Lord that said this family's going to make it through this. You told me, God. And sometimes we need to go back to the word that the Lord spoke to our hearts in the face of those contradictions not sometimes we always have to god you told me that, that i'm supposed to move to vegas some of you god told me i'm supposed to help plant this church pastor roland shared last week about having to move to guam and take over the church in guam god told me this is what i'm supposed to do not move to the states i'm supposed to stay there and you have to go back to that in the face of contradiction when things don't go right we got to go back to what the lord spoke and some of you are sitting there going well the lord never spoke to me okay well then you need to seek him for a word then that's part of what spiritual disciplines is about. If you don't have a word from the Lord about where you're at in your season of life, you go seek him for that because we need that. God has a word for every single one of us. There's a reason why you and I are still alive. If you're not dead yet, there's a purpose for your life that's not yet satisfied and the safest place to be is in the middle of that will. And so doing our devotions isn't just a, a ritualistic task so that lightning doesn't come down, okay? It's so that I can hear the voice of God for where I, I need to be in this season of life. And if you're not doing that and you don't have a word, don't blame him, okay? Because he wants to speak. It's kind of like Wi-Fi. You guys, do you guys see any Wi-Fi signals going on around here? It's always out. The signal's always there, but you just got to connect. And, it, and I'll tell you what the password is. It's Jesus. Somebody just got on their phone. Is it really Jesus? <laughs> it's a metaphor. But the, pa- the password to connect to the voice of God and the heart of God. But it takes a little bit of effort to do that. It takes effort to get outside of ourselves, to crack open this Bible, to get in prayer, to go to your life groups, to come to church, to hear the word, to spend time in prayer. Before I came in here this morning, I was parked on the side, and I was just praying, God, I want to hear your heart for this church in this moment. Before I do anything, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord. We need to seek him for a word. Elijah had a word that he could hold on to. He told me, you guys are going to make it through. Give me that boy. I'm going to pray for him because he's not supposed to be dead. God told me he's supposed to be alive. What has the Lord spoken to you about this season in your life? You need to seek him for that word. But we also need to go to the written word because the Bible is God's word to us, not just the subjective things that we feel, because we need to keep it within the frame of his written word. Romans 8.28 tells us something that should comfort us in the middle of these challenging seasons. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Back to the very first, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, even in the face of the contradictions. Even when things don't go the way that we want, God is working for good, amen? Even in the the challenges that we face and the obstacles that we face and the things not going the way that we want, God is working for good. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Okay, God, it's not going the way that I want right now, but I know you're working for my good. God, you're not doing what I want you to do, but I know you're working for my good. We need to come back to that. Amen? Especially when the enemy is whispering in our ears, God's not good. And we have to remind ourselves, God is always working for our good. Always working for our good. We need to remind ourselves of the word of God. And sometimes God allows contradictions to to teach us to seek him in the word. To teach us to seek him. Because if we weren't desperate, we wouldn't crack open this Bible. If we weren't desperate, we wouldn't dig as hard as we need to dig to hear his voice. But when you're desperate, you crack open that Bible, don't you? When you're desperate and you realize I've tried everything and it doesn't satisfy. I've tried alcohol. I've tried drugs. I've tried all this stuff and it doesn't satisfy me. I've tried chasing after success and it still leaves me empty and depressed. I need to crack open this word and seek it. And that's why some of you are here. Praise God. But don't let that be the only time you crack open this word. We need to remember his word on a regular basis. But sometimes God allows contradictions to get us to seek him in his word. And then secondly, confront contradictions by persevering in prayer. Persevering in prayer. Elijah takes the boy. He took him from her arms. Verse 21. Carried him up to the upper room where he was staying. Sorry, verse 19, verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Verse 21. Verse 21. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. He cried out three times. Let this boy's life return to him. Now, a lot of people have tried to, you know, postulate what this verse means when it says he prayed three times. Was, it, was there some formula? You got to pray something three times before something happens. I don't think that's the case and other theologians don't. <clears throat> the, the number three in the Bible is symbolic of divine perfection or completion it is very likely that the biblical authors were, were trying to tell us that Elijah prayed until completion. He prayed until completion. He didn't just pray once until he got tired. He prayed until it was done. Matthew Henry, a renowned biblical commentator and theologian, said uh, suggested that Elijah's threefold prayer demonstrates his persistence and earnestness in seeking God's intervention. He emphasized that Elijah's repeated prayers show a strong faith and his recognition that he needed to continue pleading with God to bring about the desired outcome. He prayed until completion. How many of us can say that we pray until completion? I pray until I get tired. Or I pray until I get bored or I pray until a notification comes on my phone and then I start scrolling, right? That's often how our prayers go. And sometimes I think God allows contradictions to teach us to pray the way that we're supposed to pray until completion, until it's done. John Wesley, another famous Christian theologian and founder of the Methodist movement, said uh, he sees Elijah's threefold prayer as an example of how we should continue to seek God's intervention even when faced with discouragement or apparent obstacles. Again, it's this persistence, praying until completion. We have a saying at our church, uh, Pearlside, uh, an an acrostic for the word push. Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. A lot of times we pray until we get tired. Pushed, right, or whatever. I didn't didn't even think that there. (laughs) Pushed. Anyway, pray until I get tired. Anyway, push, pray until something happens. Don't give up. And some of you have been praying for stuff for a long time. Don't quit. Don't give up. It might be years. Stuff that I'm praying for now for about three years, not done yet. I'm not done praying. And I'm gonna pray until something happens. When in despair, go to prayer. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. When in despair, go to prayer. Elijah carried this boy from his mother's arms up into the upper room and prayed until something happened. He prayed until completion. And God raised him up, heard his cry. Sometimes God allows contradictions to teach us how to pray. Because most of us don't pray very good. Again, I pray until I get bored or until I get distracted. We need to pray to completion. And then lastly, when we persevere, because we must, greater faith and resilience are developed for greater victories in the future. When we persevere, greater faith and resilience are developed for greater victories in the future. Eli- the Lord heard, it says, verse 23, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room to the house, into the house and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. I think he might have been a little surprised, look, <laughs> you know, <laughs> your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, look, at, look watch this, this is so powerful. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It wasn't the miracle of providing for her. It was a miracle of raising her son up from the dead, an even greater victory. But she said, now I know. This Gentile, pagan, idol-worshiping woman said, now I know. And when we persevere, and we must, through whatever contradictions we're facing, Whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's relationship, we got to persevere. When we persevere, others around us are going to say, now I know why you go to Every Nation in Las Vegas. Now I know why you spend your time on Sunday going to church when you could be doing something else. Now I know why you read that Bible and go to your life group. Now I know why you tithe, which I always thought was crazy. Now I know because I've seen God work in your life. Now I know there are people watching us. And if we back down and we give up and we quit when things get hard and we don't push and we don't pray and we don't read the word and and seek the voice of God and we quit in our faith and we stiff arm God and we walk away, they're going to go, see, I knew. I knew there was nothing to that. I knew it was a bunch of garbage. I knew it was a bunch of cultural whatever. But when they see you persevere and they see God show up, they're going to say, now I know that your God is actually real. Now I know why you did all the things that you did and why you were reaching out to me all those years. That's why we have to persevere, amen? You're going through hard stuff, so am I. I've gone through a lot of hard things in life, as many of you have. We have to persevere. See, we can talk about the church, the book of Acts, and expanding, but if you and I quit in the face of contradictions, nothing is going to happen. You can preach the gospel till your face gets blue, until people plug their ears, because if they don't see God working in your life and in mine, none of it's going to matter. But if we can push through in the diff- most difficult circumstances, people will look at our lives. They don't even need to hear our message. They're just going to look at your life and go, wow, there's something there. And when they hear the message, they're going to say, now I know why you did what you did all those years. One of my favorite stories, I want to close with this. And uh, worship team, you can come up and get set behind me. We're going to spend a moment in worship in just a little bit. And I want to pray for us um, that God would show up powerfully even in this moment and begin to work. But one of my favorite examples that I want to close with is the story of two missionaries by the name of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. And if, you're, uh, if you know a little bit of uh, Christian history, they're kind of, you know, famous for uh, what God used them for and what they overcame. But Jim and Elizabeth Elliot <clears throat> were missionaries who felt called to preach the gospel to the Wadani tribe of the Aka Indians in, in the isolated tribe of the, in the jungles of Ecuador. They heard the word of God call them to go and be missionaries in this, in this tribe. They knew it was dangerous. The Akka were known to be violent and fought for generations in bloody conflicts with other Indian tribes. They also were known to murder outsiders uh, that, they, you know, that would just show up in their, in their. Elliot heard about the Indians and how they were killing one another in one bloody, bloody genocide after another and felt compelled by the gospel to go and share the gospel of Christ to bring peace and healing and reconciliation. Many, especially their family, challenged them not to go. They thought that they would never see them again. But instead of listening to that voice, they chose to obey the word of God and they moved to Ecuador and joined the Wadani tribe. They faced many hardships while living with the Wadani, but they were able to lead some to Christ, finding reconciliation and peace in Jesus. But on January the 8th, 1956, Jim and four other missionaries uh, were attacked and killed by Aka warriors who viewed them as a threat. Talk about a contradiction. God, we came here to help these people. And now we're being attacked. Imagine you're the wife, Elizabeth Elliot, and your husband just got murdered. We came here, God, to follow your will. And now this contradiction, what's happening? In his journal, Jim's journal, stated in, uh, he stated how he believed his calling to reach the Wadani was more valuable than his own life. And he gave this famous quote. He said, he is no fool Who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Go to the next slide. You can read it a little bit better. You see the heart there. I have to persevere. Even in the midst of possibly giving my life. Because God's called me to. There's a purpose. There's a plan. Such courage. Amen. Such faith. And then your husband gets killed. In the midst of all that. More amazing to me than the faith of Jim Elliot was the faith of his wife Elizabeth. Because after her husband and his team was murdered, she chose to stay in Ecuador with their then 10-month-old daughter and continued to share the gospel with the same Indians who murdered her husband. She stayed. She could have gone home, back to the States, live in comfort and, and mourn the death of her husband. But she chose to stay. And her courage and forgiveness led many to faith in Jesus, including one of the Indians who carried out the violent attack that killed her husband. Many accounts, by many accounts, it was Elizabeth Elliot's faith that led to the salvation of many Aka Indians and that ended the violence that plagued the tribes for generations. Anthropologist James Booster said, Christianity served as a way for the Wadani to escape the cycle of violence in their community since it provided a motivation to abstain from the killing. And today, some estimates, over 40% of the Wadani profess to be Christians. And on June the 15th, 2015, Elizabeth Elliot was reunited with her husband, Jim, in heaven. And I'm sure that she was greeted not just by Jim, but by hundreds, if not thousands, of Aka Indians who are in heaven because of them, because of her faith to push through the contradiction, to hold on to the word of God, to cry out to him in prayer, and to remember this is why we came here, to lay down our lives for these people. In the face of that contradiction, she chose to do the counterintuitive thing, to stay, to love, to minister, to to care. And it was that demonstration of the gospel that the Yaka Indian said, now I know why you came. Now I know why you sacrificed your life because of what I see in your love and in you. And you know, when you and I face contradictions in life, we have to persevere because others are watching us. And there are going to be people in heaven that that are there because of your example that said, man, I saw you persevere when it was hard. And I saw you persevere when your marriage was on the rocks. Man, I saw you persevere through that financial challenge and that health challenge and you didn't relent in your faith in God. Now I know why you do this. Now I get it. And there are going to be people in heaven because of your perseverance and mine. We cannot give up in the face of contradictions. Can I hear an amen to that? She faced the contradiction with faith and changed the eternal destinies of countless people. Countless people over the, de- over the decades. She no doubt had to remember the word that was spoken to her about their calling to reach the aka people. She no doubt had to spend hours in prayer seeking the Lord's heart so that she could continue to love the very people who murdered her husband. But because she did, generations are changed. What about you? There are people watching you that will never see another Christian, right? Some of you are the only Christians in your workplace. Some of you are the only Christians on your sports team, on your campus. You don't know very many others. That's why you're there. That's why you're there. And the contradiction you're facing just might be the thing that God knows that person needs to see you overcome. That contradiction you're facing just might be the thing that unlocks somebody's faith when they see you persevere. Don't allow the devil to lie to you and say God's abandoned. You know, God is going to use this for greatness if you persevere. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up in the face of this contradiction because God wants to do something great. Can I hear an amen to that? Will you bow your heads with me as we come to close? Father... Thank you for your word that challenges us in the midst of difficult, difficult seasons. All of us have gone through hard seasons in life, some worse than others, God. And Lord, you know every single story. You've seen every single hardship. But this morning, we remind ourselves we're not going to quit. We're not going to relent. We're not going to turn back and go the other way. We're going to continue to trust in you like Elijah did. We're going to continue to trust in you until we see a breakthrough so that the people in our lives that don't know you yet will come to understand your goodness and your love through us. Help us not to quit, God. Help us not to give up, God. Help us not to feel sorry for ourselves, God. Help us to see our lives the way that Jim and Elizabeth did as a mission missionaries to people who are far from you, God. Help us to persevere so that they will come to know you. In the name of Jesus, amen.